You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 18, Jana, January, February, 82 AD. Laverne was distracted and spent little time with Chrissy. After we returned from the Mordal, he took her out, as before, but as his leaving grew closer, he preferred to go to the hills and forests alone. Our lovemaking was infrequent, much less than I wanted, and hurried when I broke through his curtain of concentration. He was not with just me. The king and the druidess Fritha were also in bed with us. Since our return, the snake in my belly lay coiled and did not lessen its hold. I often forgot meals until Chrissy reminded me. I thought it was because of my worry about Laverne. I promised myself to speak with Rona when I saw her next. Planning and preparing for the order given to him by King Calgacus had taken many of his waking, and now I found his sleeping hours. Last night, while I lay in our cave, the mistletoe cave, I dreamed of Imbolc. The gods requested more light than we have ever had before. This morning I harvested many sprigs of the golden bough. If we conduct the Imbolc festival in the way the gods request, the mistletoe will bring us a fertile harvest. We will need food if the Romans come. We must be ready to feed ourselves and gather extra if we must leave. Laverne paced, creating a worn path around the fire pit, his hand running through his loose hair. I stirred our meal, adding dried juniper berries to the stew. Chrissy, now almost six seasons old, sat at her grandmother's loom. Her fingers worked the shuttle between and under the warp to create cloth. Not perfect, but a good attempt, and it kept her still for a few minutes. We will have many candles for you to bless at Imbolc, I said. Tell me, Laverne, have the gods given you anything that will make your trip less dangerous? Have they told you that you do not need to go? I wished him to say, yes, they told me to stay with you and Chrissy. That is not what I heard. As much as I pray, I hear nothing. I still must go. I do not want the same fate to come to this land that visited the land where I was born. As for now, the gods have shown me an inbulk filled with light, and I must do as they demand. Imbolc was the halving of our winter season. We prayed for the coming spring to bring fertility to our crops and animals. I prayed for Laverne's safety. Imbolc dawned to heavy rain, too much for a ceremony outdoors. Laverne and I went to Kenrick's home, where Laverne lit the sacred Imbolc oak fire. His home, the chieftain's lodge, was filled with clan members, enough to bulge its walls. Laverne asked me to bring the candles we had gathered in the days before. We passed them out to those in the lodge, and then I slipped on my cloak. White stag's fur lined my hood and remind me of a time when Laverne was mine, alone. It saddened me. I understood he worked to ensure the safety of Chrissy and the other children of our clan. However, I missed having him to myself. I gathered the rest of the candles with a heavy heart. Laverne picked up a large mouth-empty pot, a small firebrand, and turned the pot to hold over the burning oak log protecting it from the rain. 
We lit three candles in every abode we visited that night. As I moved from home to home, the rainwater on the path behind us reflected the burning candles. I trembled when I saw the light behind us, but darkness ahead. Home with Chrissy safe asleep in her bed, we stripped ourselves of our dripping cloaks and sat on our bed, wrapped in our blanket. I shivered as I moved closer to him to garnish the heat of his body. He held open his arm and invited me to scoot closer. We sat skin to skin. Tell me how your hair always smells of spring flowers, he said with his nose resting against the top of my head. I have petals from last summer, pressed into the soap I used to wash it with, I said as I snuggled deeper under his arm. You always smell of honey and leather. I have found you in the dark by your fragrance. Jana, he said, his warm breath tickling my ears. We are traveling the path the gods prepared for us. I feel that this is the reason we were brought together. We are here to save our people through healing and whatever the gods ask of us at this time. I do not want to go, to leave you and Chrissy alone. I swore to you I would not go far again after your taking. But I must break my promise. Chrissy needs you, and if I do not come back, you must ask the gods what should be done to protect the clan, to protect Chrissy. He stroked my hair as he spoke, and tears fell off my chin onto my bare legs. I nodded a yes. A fist gripped my heart. I understood, but I did not like it. The lovemaking that night was like the nights just after our hand-fasting. We did not let go of each other. As I was falling asleep, he whispered into my ear, I am going when this storm pauses. There has been a lessening of the cold, and I think it will continue. I have a better chance of traveling unnoticed in the winter. Eyes turn inward, and I can slip past them. I turned to him, cupped his now-bearded face in my hands, and kissed his warm, sweet mouth. I scooted even closer to try to get under his skin. I never wanted to have him leave me again. But I knew he had to go. Yes, I will ready your things. After one more rain-filled day and love-filled night, he left at daybreak, under a clear sky. Chrissy needed little of my attention as she spent most of her time at Finley's home now. She did not ask about Laverne. He had told her in his way what he was doing, and she accepted it. Heralt and Silius treated the ill. I looked for something to fill my hands. At Finley's, I asked for another bowl. Are you making one that I may engrave for someone? I have a need to create something long-lasting. Ah, Finley sighed, I have a large one for the next doll. I would trade for a tiny bit of gold. I will lend you this bowl to work on. He hunched up his shoulders and said, If it is good enough, I may get more gold for it. I gathered his small tools and sat down at his worn and burn-spotted workbench. The bowl was smooth and heavy in my hands as I turned and rolled it to see what lived in the bronze. A picture was there. A fox stood on his hind legs, the two front resting on the trunk of a sacred oak tree. Its tail fanned out behind him. In the tree rested a raven, and just below it a finch with a crossed bill. 
The small bird had come to Laverne in a dream about Chrissy. He told me its black wings reminded him of me, yet the rest of the tiny bird's feathers were the color of Chrissy's hair. It is small, lively, and twitters like her, he had said, laughing. It is her spirit animal. On the other side of the bowl, I tapped out a standing bear with an owl perched on its left paw. It was my spirit family. I worked on it for two moon cycles while Laverne was gone. When I finished, Finley gave the bowl to me. No one would trade for a bowl with your spirit animals on it. The gods wanted you to have this one, he said. I made another one. I must have known of this end. I request flowers and braids only on the next bowl. No animals. When I started work on Finley's bowl the next day, my spirit bowl sat on the table next to me. Laverne. After our return from the Mordal, I spent many days preparing myself for the journey the king had ordered me to undertake. My mind seemed to be in three places at once. I knew I should be spending more time with Jonna and Chrissy, as well as the ill and injured, but the forest drew me in to meditate. I tried to interpret the messages sent by the gods. Sunlight hours passed quickly in the forest, and I often found myself there after sunset. The nights were cold, and on many it rained, so I made it a habit to get to the small cave Jonna and I had protected ourselves in our first storm together. I was safe in the small weather-carved abode, and the memories of that first night we spent together were still fragrant in my mind. My heart and body longed for her, but I could not give in. When I did allow contact with my family, I tried taking Chrissy out as I had before our trip. She required more teaching. I wanted her to love the world around her as much as I. The trips stopped after she wandered off, and I did not realize it until daylight was dimming. I spent many anxious breaths looking and calling for her before she stepped in front of me, giggling. <laughs> Father, she said her face as bright as the spring flowers in the meadows. I've been following you. I sat as quiet as a fox as you taught me. I sat behind a tree until you started looking for me, and then I followed you. I laughed so I had to cover my mouth, but I was still very quiet. I'm a good fox. Am I not, Father? Yes, you are a good and quiet fox. I expected to find my little bird flitting and singing, but you have learned to be a changeling. You have done well with your training, Madule, beautiful girl. I have loved our time in the fields and forest together. I had to explain why I would not take her out anymore. I could not keep my mind on her and prepare for my journey. She must stay with Jana now. The weather is too unpredictable. I do not want us to be caught outside in the rain. Your mother would be angry with me if I brought you home cold and wet day after day. You will stay with her and learn some of the art of healing and weaving. You should have skills from the forest and the home to live well in this world. I knew I would miss her 
being with me. I was alone in the cave the night the god gave me the dream about our Imbolc ceremony. Kenrick, our chieftain, had started the training of his warriors, and it was becoming more and more vigorous. Words passed from mouth to ear to mouth among the clan. Worries were growing about the advance of the Romans. The unknown was causing fear, which grew into the stormy darkness of this season. I dreamed about a ceremony that brought light into every home of our village. I would bless candles, light them from the oak imbolc fire, and make sure all families had three to relight their home fires from. Jonna collected the candles, and all was ready for the ceremony when the sky opened with its worst storm of our winter. We gathered in Kenrick's home to light the ceremonial fire, and then she and I made our way out to the homes of those who did not come. We left light and words of encouragement. Many came up to me and asked me to pray for their farms and families. Druid Laverne, one said, pray for fertility for our animals. We ask for a new calf this spring. Yes, I answered. The prayer has been spoken. If the gods are willing, you will get your new calf and many piglets this year, Arden. I must leave soon, I thought. I could not promise new animals to those who might have to go to war soon and may not come back to farm this land. I could not go on with my routines in the knowledge my family and others may be in danger. I had to go quickly, as soon as this storm calmed. At home, wrapped in blankets to dry and warm ourselves, I held Jana in my arms. The winter will help hide me. I must go now. I will not return for several moons, and our people must be given time to prevent a war or prepare for battle, whichever the gods will ask of us. If I wait longer, we may not be ready. I must break my promise to you and leave you alone. I ask the goddess to watch over you and Chrissy. Yes, she sighed. Yes, Mohune Agril, my beloved husband. I hate your going. But yes. We became one repeatedly that night. The next daybreak, Chrissy noticed we were preparing my bag for travel. Father, where are you going? Are Mother and I going with you? No, Un, I'm going alone. But Father, I want to go. Are you going for a long time? I may be gone a long time. You must stay here and help your mother. And you must help Logan learn his bird calls. Remember, he did not know as many as you on our last journey. But why do you have to go? Chrissy, sit here with me. We sat next to the fire pit where Jonna was adding dried juniper berries to the soup. Do you remember the foxes we watched this spring? The father fox came out of the den after the kits were born and started hunting. He had to protect and feed the mother so she could make milk for her young. For days he would bring her small voles and mice, leaving them at the door of the den. On his last day he brought a rabbit and seemed so proud as he carried it and laid it at her door. Then the badger came out of the bushes and attacked him. The badger wanted the kits. The father fox fought very hard, so hard that he wounded the badger bad enough and it left. But the father fox was also wounded. He crawled under the bush near the den and died. Yes, I remember. We buried him after you took his tail and you made your armband. Yes, 
that is correct. The mother fox was alone and had to go hunt for herself. She had to leave the den every day for food, or she would not have had milk for her young. Oh, father, the badger came back and stole her babies while she was gone that day. I cried, but you said it is the way of nature. Sometimes the way of the gods is sad, father. Yes, I agree. Nature can be harsh. Now think. If the mother and father fox had known if the badger lived close by, do you think they would have dug their den there? After a few breaths, her face in concentration, she answered, No, father, if they had known their babies were in danger, they would have moved. I wish they had. Next time I will look for the badger, and if it is there, I will leave the foxes a message not to stay. Ah, you understand. Sometimes, if knowledge is known, before an event, we can prevent sad things from happening. I'm going on a trip to learn some information that may stop some bad things. The gods have asked me to go so they can protect us, their kits. Oh, she said. Oh, I understand, father. When will you come back? I pray to the gods soon. But if I must stay away, I want you to remember how much I love you and always in your heart know that I will see you again. I will never be far from you if you think of me. I thought of a remembrance to give her my pipe. I had been teaching her to coax notes from it. She would practice while I was gone. I smiled at the thought that Chrissy would also remind Jonna of me. I hoped not badly when she played. I handed her my pipe. You have started learning to make music on this, and I am giving it to you. I want you to become a good musician, so you must practice often. She started blowing into it, producing notes shrill enough to make my teeth hurt. Chrissy, I think it would be best to practice outside, and then, when you are ready to play for your mother, you may come in. She had gotten over the sting of my leaving and scampered out the door to play the pipe. I watched wondering how grown she would be when I returned, if I returned. The next morning I donned my oil cloak over several layers of shirts and pants. Jonna had asked for boots from Finley, whose feet were larger than mine, and lined them with otter skins she had been saving to make a hooded cloak for Chrissy. These will keep your feet warm and dry. When you return I can still use the skins. Do not lose them, she warned. My feet have never been so well taken care of, I replied. Your feet will walk a long distance. You must take care of them. If they freeze, you will not be able to travel. I beg of you to get home, Laverne. I will look for you every day. I have something to add to your labyrinth bag. I handed it to her. It would be the last thing I added to the pack I would carry on my back. I cut some of Chrissy's hair. She's with Eric, playing with her children. I hope she's not blowing that pipe you gave her. I'm afraid we will hear her untamed music for the rest of the winter. She loves it so. She opened my bag, took out the locks of hair she had mixed before I left to gather sea grasses, and added some of Chrissy's golden red to my rust-colored and her raven's wing black hair. I grabbed her hands and kissed the tears that ran down her cheeks. She retied the red thread and returned the precious packet to my bag. I will caress it when I rest to think of you both. Jana, I must tell you, 
You are a beautiful woman. When we married you were a girl. My hand rested on her shoulders, and I looked into her tear-filled eyes. Now the knowledge of helping those who are dying and becoming a mother has added lines of wisdom to your forehead and mouth. I will miss tracing those lines with my eyes and lips. I love you fully. It is because of you and Chrissy that I take this journey. She tied the hood of my cloak under my chin. I enfolded her into my arms but could not feel her body heat through the, my clothing. We kissed deeply. I turned and through the fort's gate walked away from my home. I was glad the tall mountain was behind me when I started. I did not want to climb it in the snow that covered its top. The hills that lay in front of me were treacherous enough. I stayed away from clans I did not know. Alone I would be suspect and maybe killed. It was safer to walk a longer distance around them. The weather was fine and clear for the first seven sunrises after I left. My progress was good. I did not know how far I would have to go, but reckoned to reach the village I lived as a child would take seven more days in weather such as this. I traveled faster than the first time I came this way. At that time of my life, my spirit was injured. Then I hid during the days and traveled only at night. After escaping the Romans who killed my mother and captured my sisters, I was not a whole person. Then I found Jana. The gods had led me to the person who had spoken to me through her dreams, and we had created a life together. Jana and I knew that our souls belonged to the gods. I was now their messenger. Rain fell for the next three days, and I slipped and slid up and down the rocky trails that took me in the direction of the Romans. I slept under rocky outcroppings and in depressions of the earth and ate food from my travel bag. Water was not a problem. If I thirsted, I opened my mouth and rain fell into it. Finally, the clouds emptied. I tied a snare, trapped a rabbit for dinner, and started a small fire, only enough to warm the meat of the rabbit and me. I knew I was close to the Romans as I had seen the trails and the spore of their horses. I was even more careful now. On the next day's walk, I started across a gully, a small herd of sheep were scattered across the hill on the other side. It is the wrong time of year for sheep to be pastured, I thought. Where was the shepherd? Leaving sheep scattered and alone was leaving them open to become food for the wolves. I heard a shout. Not knowing who it was, I crouched, my feet soaked in the frigid stream that ran through the bottom of the gully. Another shout led my eyes to the boy. I carefully looked around for anyone else. No one was in sight, so I started for the boy. He huddled in the middle of a pile of boulders that had rolled into the gully from the hillside. His words were not ones I knew. They brought back the sounds that flooded my ears in my village that horrible day so long ago. The commands of the Roman leader were in this tongue. Bile rose in my throat. How could this boy learn this foul language? He looked to be one of our people, not Roman. I did not want him to know where I had come from, so I spoke with him only in the language of my mother. He was not moving, and as I got closer I noticed that his arm was trapped between two large boulders. He was a boy of about ten seasons. Shh, boy, I said. I will help you. He stiffened, 
cried out and lost consciousness. Not good, I thought. I shall have to move the rocks, and I must have his help to get him out. I pulled out my water skin and dribbled water on his lips. He woke up and opened his mouth. His thirst was great. Boy, I need to gather some things to use after we get you out. He did not seem to understand. I am going up the hill. I pointed first to me and then the hill. He shook his head rapidly. Although I did not know the language, I could tell he was scared and thought I would leave him. Tears poured freely down his thin cheeks. I will be back, boy. Shh! I'm going up there to find the best branches from this bush. He calmed and did not cry as much. He seemed to understand I would help him. I walked over to him. Stand here, I motioned, just out of the way of the boulder. I do not want it to roll over you and create new wounds. He whimpered as he moved, but bravely scooted as much as his trapped arm would let him. Yes, that is perfect. Do not move. I moved around the stone to the spot I had picked and pushed against the boulder that pinned him. When his arm was freed, he fell unconscious again. I placed the branches on either side of his arm and wrapped the strips I had torn from my shirt around them. His arm was secure and would not move. If he were lucky, the bone would mend and he would still have use of his hand. When he awoke, I gave him more water. We were near a bag that I assumed was his. I looked inside, and it contained a small amount of hard black bread. Boy, you have some food in here. Would you like something to eat? I put my hand to my mouth as if eating, and he nodded. I tore off a small piece of the rough bread and gave it to him. He drank a bit more and then fell back to sleep. I captured a sheep and brought it near us. I tied it to the bush and nicked its neck with my dirk. I used the bread the boy had to soak up as much blood as it would hold. The sheep's wound closed and I carried the bread to the boy. He woke again. Eat! It will give you energy! The bread was softer from the blood and he chewed and swallowed almost all of it before he fell back to sleep. I sat until it grew cold and knew we should find a place to rest for the night. I put his pack in mine gathered him into my arms, and carried him to a copse of trees. We had shelter and layered dry leaves to help keep away the damp cold. He sat on my lap, both of us wrapped in my cloak. I did not risk a fire, but we were warm. I thanked the gods it was not raining. We slept uneasy until daylight broke over the hills. His skin was hot. A sign the spirits in his body were fighting, I carried him toward my enemy. At midday I reached the top of a hill. Below us were tents, a Roman warrior camp. The air was filled with dust and noise. My breath stopped and my heart rose to my throat. I turned to go down the back side of the hill, but a man stood behind me. His glare and the sword in his hand caused me to stop. The gods wanted me to meet the Romans now, no matter what my heart thought. With threatening motions and harsh-sounding words, he ushered me to the camp. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Verdasky. And remember to go to iTunes to The Fox Podcast or patiobooks.com to the fantasy section where you'll find the fox and leave a comment. 
Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, A Child of the Gale, from his album Highland Farewell. His music can be found at www.etherean.com, who along with Steve have allowed me to play the music in my podcasts. Learn more about The Fox at www.radasky.com. Time has come when we must be on the run, my love and I, we will travel far from here. And now the days that we sat beneath the rolling tree, my love and I, we will never be here again. Wherever we go, my love, forever you'll know. It's always been a crofter's life for me I'll always be my father's son Yet in a faraway land we will be A highland name on the run For the soldiers come around and break the door Let us all be far away And we will become pilgrims Where our children will help create a new nation Come, Highland name, where are we going? 